just a friendly reminder to subscribe to this YouTube channel. Like the episode, leave a comment, any engagement would be appreciated. And now, Muhammad Shama. Nostalgia, mm-hmm. I think, serve a very vital function when things are terrible. Mm-hmm. And it's nice to go back in time, mm-hmm. even when it's not 100% true all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It is nice to sort of uh, lean on this. Mm-hmm. It's emotive. <clears throat> Let's start, with your permission, all the way back. Okay. Let's go back to Carantina. Uh-huh. And I'm going to link your piece to, to the episode, and I'll, I'll title it here. This is in Beirut today. Mm-hmm. It was released in April. Yes. <clears throat> Beirut's forgotten medical history, quarantining before COVID-19. Yeah. And I did not know that Carantina goes that far back in time to mm-hmm. the early 19th century. Yeah. Now, we're going to jump into this, but there's a, I think it's almost poetic that Carantina is on the news today. Yeah. Unfortunately. For, unfortunately. For, uh, for, yeah. For all the wrong reasons. Lessons stellar, Yeah. But it's still an urban planning story, mm-hmm. and that's nearly 200 years later. Mm-hmm. Actually, it, it is 200 years later, 1820s until now. Uh, 1830, no, I guess roughly yeah. 190. Yeah. 190. Older than AUB. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you can say that. So I'm curious why you want to explore Carantina to begin with. Okay. And, and I'll also add here that um, this is your thesis subject mm-hmm. at AUB. So I'm guessing there's a personal curiosity beyond just finishing the degree. Yeah. So uh, what, what, why Carantina? So, so originally, I I I, I had no, I knew nothing about Carantina. Hmm. I I think I only went there just once before. Uh, coincidentally, maybe two or three weeks before the blast. Uh, oh, that was the first time you went. Yeah, because there was some kind of good goodbye party for a friend. Long story, but uh, originally I was just doing. Um, I was working on stadiums and how we can uh, like adaptively reuse them and I guess just uh, take advantage of them as public space and all that because most of our stadiums are locked up today yeah. and are you know are falling apart or are just open on the weekends for you know football soccer whatever uh, so that was my original thesis track uh, but then of course the blast happened and in the second by the second day I, I started volunteering uh, with Akhishwa, which I've been volunteering with for like seven years now. Uh, and so they decided to work on, because I, I don't know if you remember this, like the first few days of the blast, a lot of people turned up uh, and started, you know, sweeping glass and just helping uh, yes. in any way they could. Uh, mostly in Jemais and Marm Khayil. Because, and because I guess it's just like what uh, people think of as being closest to the blast. Right. But unfortunately... Uh, there is a place that's much closer and actually in the backyard of the port, which is the Carantina area. Yes. Uh, and Ofrishwa, originally they were going in to help rehabilitate like Jamezi or Marm Khayl or something, or Burj Hamoud even. But they found that no one in Carantina had like, uh, no, no NGO, no volunteers, barely any had gone to Carantina. And yeah. that's how they decided to go in. And because I, you know, I'm always in contact with them, that's how I started working there. And originally I, I, I was just like a like a construction volunteer. So 
with Afrishwa, what we do is we go into these areas that have been affected by either, you know, like uh, like blasts or or uh, skirmishes. So, for example, Beirta Bene and uh, Jabal Mohsen in Tripoli. Yes, right. Or in 2012 in Ashrafi after the assassination of Wissam um, uh, al-Hassan. Hassan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, of course, like those areas, yeah, there was the blast. Uh, and unfortunately, there was assassinations and stuff. But at the same time, they leave like a mark. Like, I mean, the people who live there, they're affected too. And no one's always, a, they're not, and usually no one's around to help them recover. And with me, um, I started working there in, with them, volunteering with them in 2013. Um, in Saida, there was Ahmed Asir versus the army. Yes, right. And that also left the area in that part of Saida devastated. And that's uh, that's how I started. Because... There's always a skirmish, there's always the bomb, there's always whatever, but no one ever thinks of the aftermath of what happens. You know, whether yeah. intentionally or not, mm-hmm. you're eloquently displaying how tied up urban planning is to conflict. Yeah. And that yeah. every story that I think right now that you mentioned, there's a background tragedy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Carantina, and I like the way you're saying this, that Carantina is probably the ne- the least, the least... People ignore it. Mm-hmm. You can go in and out of Beirut, yeah. and you miss Carantina. Of course. And simply, I think, because of the highway. Because of the highway. Uh, that So his, uh, that kind of, um, it's sort of like, uh, I guess, uh, what's the word? Not uh, So it's technically the highway is called an infrastructural edge. It's basically cut off Carantina uh, from the rest of Beirut, even though technically and on the map yes. there. Uh, you, I mean, technically, it's still part of municipal Beirut, mm-hmm. but it's just most people, you know, just do, either don't know about it, yeah. or they know just like actually the first time I did hear about it, it was in 2019 before Thaura. Just someone had so it was like a group, um, it was a group project we were doing about the waterfront uh, and how the port kind of like, you know, just disrupts the the waterfront. Y- yes, right. And then someone mentioned Carantina, and one of my partners, she's uh she she's from an older generation she's uh like she graduated ab in the in the 90s and she told me whenever i hear carantina i just hear horror stories because she's you know from that generation of what that lived through the civil war for me carantina never rang any bells Mm -hmm. other than what i hear from other people but when i actually went there and i started digging um uh, digging in newspapers digging in in some books uh in magazines and whatever it, it, I figured out that it also has its own story that kind of is missed uh, or just ignored or neglected. You know, in, in a way, maybe by accident, Carantina also has a lot of the older architecture that was spared mm-hmm. destruction post-war. Yeah. And simply because real estate developers didn't think of Carantina as a sort of... Um, Destin- developing developer right. destination, yeah, yeah. And maybe add to that the fact that that trash dump, the landfill, uh-huh. is so close mm-hmm. that many Lebanese don't think about moving to Carantina. Yeah. So what you have is an almost an accidental uh, leftover. Yeah, it's enclaved in a way. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah, it's uh, neglected. I mean, I guess you can say uh, politically. I mean, mm. I, technically it's part of Beirut 1, but... Which is Jamaisi, Marum Khair. Yeah, yeah, sometimes it's part of this thing called Beirut 2 when they divide it into three. Yes, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the story of Carantina is the story of just different uh, flows of, uh, like, of refugees, not just, uh, like, now it's Syrian refugees, but 
going back to even before uh, the Armenian refugees, uh, Maronite refugees fleeing in the right. 1860 uh, civil war in the Jabal, uh, they, a lot of them settled around that area, and that's how we have Maran Khayil today. So before yes. the, um, I, I'm pointing at the distance, but there's a map over here, so I swear. You know what? <laughs> let's, let's put it in the episode. Let's bring it. Okay. Why not? Uh, okay. You, want, you want to get it, or should I get sure, it? Sure, I'll go. You want to get it? All right. That's what, yeah, yeah. This, is, this is what the guest does. Goes and uh, picks up. <laughs> it's fantastic. So I'll embed this so that people can see it. But uh, just, you know what? Let's bring it here. Let's put it ah, on the table. Okay, yeah. Let's put it on the table. Exactly. So maybe, yeah, I can put it like that, actually. Okay, so I'll embed this so people can. Okay. Yeah, so before there was a, uh, a highway, and before there was a train track, uh, and if you notice the administrative boundaries, it says Maram Khayyid here and pink connects here. So a lot of the early um, Maronite refugees fleeing the Jabal, uh, they settled around in this area and they founded the Maronite, the uh, Maram Khayyid Maronite Church, which it's no longer there. They, they, a new church was built over it, but it's the same uh, like area, same uh, plot of land. Right. Uh, but you notice how this is also technically called Maram Khayyid, even though it's disconnected. So because before, oh, yes, right, right. It, this was all considered like one area, but then this edge, it kind of like enclaved this part. And you notice how there's no port. There was no oh, third or fourth terminal yet. Right. Khudr, uh, it gets its name from the Khudr Mosque here, which is very old actually. It's one of the earliest uh, buildings in this area because I think you might know that Beirut was just basically here. That was it. Yes. And then there was the Khudr Mosque, which is kind of considered like the entryway to Beirut because it was sort of like a checkpoint if we think of it today. And the only road leading out was Armenia Street, which I think we're on. We are on Armenia Street. Yeah, 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 yes. Yeah, yeah. So, so it was just this one. This was the old, and it's kind of like called the Road to Tripoli. Mm. And that was it. So Maram Khayyid mm -hmm. is disconnected from the highway. Yeah. And Karantina, mm -hmm. the name Karantina is not used it's by not the an official. It's not an official Tishal uh, name. Right. It's just colloquial. Technically, if you want to think about it, this area... Administratively speaking, it's part. So in, in Beirut, let me just give a primer, and I'll just use the rest of Beirut as an example because it's probably the famous. So, for example, Ras Beirut is considered a quarter, and inside a yeah, quarter, there's yeah. sectors. So there's yes. Hamra sector, there's Jema sector, which is AUB. Mm. Uh, if you want to think of it in Carantina terms, Carantina, uh, technically, it's part of the Mdawer quarter, and inside this quarter, there's three sectors there's Jisr, there's Khudr, and then there's Maram Khayyid. So it's technically yes, everything right, above right. Armenia Street. Boom. That's that's Mdawar. But no one refers to it as that barely. Uh, at least everyone outside Beirut. If you go inside, people tend to uh, call things like by the colloquial names. Like Either they'll just call the whole thing Mdawar. Mm. Or mm. they'll call it Maram um, if They're from an older generation before the, um, before the highway. Oh, uh, they, they would still refer to it as Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I, I met a lot of great people there that still, they used to call, they used to call the, at least the border between here, the, the train. Yes. Because there used to be a train yeah. that passed through it. Uh, and then some people would refer to it as Khudr because there's like many sub-neighborhoods inside. There's, uh, some, some, there's also something called the Saidi Church here, uh, Saidi Najid yes. Church. Mm -hmm. and that's where we used to have lunch of uh, they, they We helped fix the church, uh, repair it, everything after the blast. And they uh, generously let us uh, use it as like a headquarters, a mini headquarters. Um, so yeah, and um, that's Carantino. 
And speaking of, I think we started off with the quarantine. This is where the quarantine used to be. And why is it here? So because this was kind of like the northernmost east. So this was Beirut, and this was the quarantine. And after like uh, the conquest of Muhammad Ali, uh, his son like appointed like a, I guess you can say a, an urban planner, uh, Nami Bey, to kind of modernize the city, kind of like yeah. how he modernized Alexandria to be like a Levantine port city. Right. And by then, like, I guess the, the popular uh, epidemiology, I said it correctly, <laughs> was, and you have to isolate people that's, coming that's from... You know, that's when you know you're doing a master's <laughs> urban planning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the, the proper epidemiology was you have to isolate people before coming in, uh, before they come into the city. And so he built a quarantine here, which was basically close to the sea and very close. So basically you would dock the boat here and then yes, a boat right. park there and then pick you up and place here. Kind of like, um, like how a lot of airports are doing now. They, Well, I mean, not now. Maybe like a few months ago, you would land and then you would stay at like an airport yeah. hotel yeah, until yeah, yeah. you're clear. Right. So they would do tests on you and then just to make sure you're okay, you'd have to stay for something like for two weeks. Of course, in Lebanon... I mean, back, way back then, you could skirt the laws, too. Was like, yeah. Because I, I, I read a lot of letters of people sitting in the quarantine and just, you know, what it was, what it was like to be there. Be, uh, yeah. So, the, I mean... I, I think you could do a season on, <laughs> on those years alone. Okay. Because that's... No, no, for, for good reason. Mm-hmm. There's so much material. Yeah. Now, you just taught me something I didn't know. I had no idea that the word quarantina mm-hmm. is colloquial. Okay. I knew it's Turkish uh-huh. for quarantine, but mm-hmm. I didn't know that it's a colloquial district. Mm-hmm. So this is all new to me, that mm-hmm. there's Maram Khayr is cut, uh, Al-Khudr is beyond the highway, mm-hmm. and also, you're, I mean, it's, it's easy to forget that the extension of the port is fairly new. Mm-hmm. So these are residential neighborhoods that largely go with the Civil War. And I mean, yeah. it's, well, no, sorry, prior to the Civil War, and your article gets mm-hmm. into it, but that... We don't think of it other than civil war devastation. Mm-hmm. So I guess by, by the civil war, that's part of the, maybe the uglier side of Unfortunately, Beirut. Unfortunately, yeah. yeah. But I, I'm, I'm curious, and before we get mm-hmm. into Quarantina, this map, which shows the rail lines, mm-hmm. which I love here, mm-hmm. it also shows the rail going into the port. Mm-hmm. I see footage, and this confirms it, of trains mm-hmm. with cargo getting sort of the wagons are getting, are, are being used at mm-hmm. the port. And I always wondered where those lines go. Mm-hmm. If you're putting cargo and like from the port, where the hell would you go? And you can't imagine it today. Yeah, no. But it shows. It goes to the modern Khayyad station, mm-hmm. which is connected to Sinilfir. Yeah. Which cuts through and we, the tracks are still here. And then it goes from Sinilfir. You can go all the way up mm-hmm. to Tripoli or south mm-hmm. into the mountains. Yeah. yeah so this i mean this is a valuable map oh <laughs> this is one of the nicest gifts i think uh, i could think of and uh you're welcome. you're very kind i hope you don't take this with you when you leave no 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 no. it's all, all right. yours good but speaking of the port uh, i just wanted to say that before the port kind of encircled it with all the new terminals a lot of people used to go swimming here there used to be a beach club here there used to also be a beach here I mean, they had the the people that had a connection with the sea, and unfortunately, the port just cut them off. And not just that. I mean, we were talking about trains and how organized it is. Just to, you know, go from one stop to another to another. Right. Now with all the trucks, unfortunately, and they're not allowed to go through the inner streets, but they do it anyway. Mm, so yes. 
I mean, when I was there, uh, I mean, I, I almost got hit like three or four times. And it's not just me. Like, there's a lot yeah. of kids who play in the streets. Uh, and God forbid something happens. But it just goes to show that, you know, like, I don't know, we need these things not just, uh, not because it's more efficient and it's cheaper, but it's also for livability-wise, like, we, yeah. you know. Yeah. Beirut used to attract dispossessed communities. Mm-hmm. Um you mentioned it earlier, there's Maronite Syrians arriving to Beirut. Mm-hmm. Some of them would quarantine. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have Armenians fleeing mm-hmm. in World War One, mm-hmm. fleeing the whole, I mean, they're, they're scattered throughout the region, mm-hmm. refugees throughout the region, mm-hmm. and they arrive to Beirut. And it explains why this is still called Armenia Street, mm-hmm. why there's a large Lebanese-Armenian community mm-hmm. that lives near Carantina. Yeah, yeah. And of course, more recently, you have Palestinian refugees mm-hmm. that arrive, 1948. And then you have also the tragedies that happened in the mm-hmm. 1970s. Mm-hmm. But still, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, I think, uh, almost like you're bringing the archives a bit to life in, the, in that mm-hmm. piece. I think it's pioneering research. Mm-hmm. So I, I look forward to the, the conclusion of the thesis. Thanks. But this article will be embedded. Mm-hmm. Carantina is, of course, a small part of Beirut. No, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, I wanted to... So, yeah. Carantina and stuff, it's, uh, I guess you can say, more or less a very affordable area where a lot of people go there because of... Uh, I mean, Beirut is just very famous for high rent and everything. Yeah. So, what was unique about Carantina and a few other clusters in Beirut, mm. the other being Carantina Zaytun, is that... For, well, not for some reason. There are reasons. One of them is that it's enclaved and... Yeah. More and some the typologies of the building also contribute to the affordability. But and I kind of wanted to maintain that I didn't want any. I, I didn't want like. I mean, if you look at other post-disaster cases, there's something called like uh, post-disaster gentrification, where okay, everything's fixed up, but um, I don't know. Like uh, the, air, the the space is different. The area is um, is changed. It's new people coming in, old people, unfortunately, being forced out, and. While I was there, I, I, I did get this, um, I did hear from a number of people that they were scared that, yeah, okay, you know, the houses are being fixed, but a lot but a lot of them were scared that what if my landlord tries to evict me yeah. now that my house is a bit more better than before, but at the same time, what if he or she tries to take advantage of this? Um, so I, I kind of wanted to mitigate that as well. So, So this is in a way also a bit... It's going beyond urban planning. It's uh, it's justice mm-hmm. for the victims of the blast. Of course, in a, in a, yeah, yeah. You don't want them to to have like a double. Um, they don't, you don't want them to be double victims. First of right. of course of this you know huge travesty. But then yeah. again, uh, for the recovery to be faltered, this that would be reckless. I look forward to the conclusion of that of that research. the The next piece that you wrote and it's for Lorient today. Yeah. So it's the forgotten explosion. Mm-hmm. Reconstructing the 1934 Beirut port blast, which came out in August, yeah. August third, yeah, one day before the one-year anniversary, yeah. and it, it, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm interrupting you, but no, it's, okay. it's all tied in together, yeah, and that, I mean, even on this map, you can tell that the the expansion of the port changes Carantina mm-hmm. permanently. Uh, the port blast destroys Carantina, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, devastates Carantina, and that there's, it's almost the two stories are. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So please keep going. Uh, so 
you know, I, I, I saw the headline, Beirut poured blast kills 30, and I immediately think, oh, there must be some kind of mistake. The, the, the ProQuest, the whatever, it, it might have um, given me like an article. Because, you know, you can set limits. You can be from 1920-something to 1940-something. Right. And this must have slid in. But no, it, it was an actual article from, I think, I think, the New York Times or the Palestine Post. Uh, and then I, you know, I opened it and I, I, I just saw, you know, uh, improperly stored chemicals, uh, port, this, ma- this amount of casualties, I, customs, um, just everything that we were, we're still facing today and we faced on uh, August 4th. Well, after I learned about it, I, I just wanted to see, because there are a few books about the Beirut port. Uh, some of them are in French, um, and I did look into them and nothing. And then I, I don't know. I looked into the so we have Parliament. Pa- I don't know if you know this, but we can actually access the Parliament minutes, all of them mostly. Really? Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's on a website. It's not. It's like HTTP where it's like unsecure, but whatever. Is it nabihberry.net? No, no. But it's it's it's, it's, it's Siberia. Like, no, no. It's like a very HTML dry. Um, yeah. You know. Uh, bricks and mortars kind of website but I mean you can access the minutes uh, and okay it's mentioned a day the day after the blast but then everything after there's no mention of it there's no mention of uh, like oh so uh, just that day it's mentioned like after, the day after it happened they yeah, convened yeah. like an emergency session or something right. and it's mentioned but uh, in all the uh, all the other minutes nothing and then oh. the news okay and I, I it wasn't just uh, the American press that covered it uh, of course a lot of local press covered it and I looked into it in Nahar and Ma'adad uh, newspapers and stuff, and they covered the first few days, and then they just stopped covering. Um, and it's just so weird. It's just like, I what, don't know. I mean, I know it's, it's, it's speculation, but why, do you, why would you think that this is not some, a, a better documented tragedy? Is, is it simply that it's just buried, that we don't really have enough local reporters covering mm-hmm. it that it's New York Times Palestine. uh was it was it just New York Times Palestine Post and oh so it was widely covered, oh, so it was widely it, covered. in oh. the US oh in the US so yeah. i guess you can say c to c so new york and then on the other side it's like the san bernardino oh, okay. something <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's covered there it's yeah. covered in europe uh, in a lot of french newspapers in mm. uh north africa also french newspapers uh and in lebanon covered by nahar and marad um and lorient of course <clears throat> So covered, but then it just a few days later it just stops. I don't know yeah. why, mm-hmm. and I, I I wanted to see if there were any French mandate sources on it, and unfortunately mm-hmm. none of them are digitized. And uh, at the time, uh, yeah, yeah, none of them are digitized. At the same time, um, you can only access them in France at the place. Right, right. So mostly a dead end there. But I looked at the Parliament papers, and initially they were like, we're going to offer them compensation and everything, the victims and stuff. And I did find something just even weird, just not weirder, just. Coincidentally, there was six months before that there was uh, an, also like an event where a building collapsed that had like a, that housed like a famous cafe called Kaukab uh, Sharki, like the Eastern oh, World or something yeah. cafe. Uh, so in that building, uh, the building collapsed, and there's victims everywhere and stuff. And it's also wildly covered, uh, but the victims don't get any compensation, even though the money uh, is donated and it's collected and it's sourced and whatever. But none of it gets dispersed. And while they're talking about the blast, they say, "And but why was not? Why was like one of the MPs says, why was nothing distributed from that from their fund? Like if we're gonna do a fund right, for right. for the Beirut port blast, the old one, 
why, whatever happened to the to the fund for the Al Kaukab al um building collapse? So it's like I don't know. That, I'm sure that fund was embezzled somehow. I don't know. Best. It's just it's just weird how we we're just. I mean, all these tragedies happen, and then and then we're not really equipped, or I mean, the people in charge aren't. You know. I'm going to throw a, just a guess. It's yeah. just hypoth mm -hmm. hypothetical. It could it just be that there's been so much tragedy since that mm -hmm. this is not considered one of the more tragic events? Probably. And and maybe because it's, I mean, it's 1930s, World War II is mm -hmm. around the corner, independence, mm -hmm. and then you have also 1948, you have Nakba, you have mm -hmm. all mm -hmm. of the Lebanese tragedy that mm -hmm. happens that maybe just gets lost in that sort of, larger mess of war probably i mean yeah i mean it's not the only tragedy unfortunately yeah. like um i guess i mean maybe in the u.s i guess you have like pearl harbor 9-11 and um the unabomber yeah. and stuff i think you remember but i mean they're not as recurrent as as in lebanon and also lebanon's a lot smaller i guess but what what i found interesting about this case and Initially, I wasn't even planning on writing anything about it. I just probably wanted to tweet it out, like, oh, you know, something like that. But what I found interesting is that not only did, I mean, the coverage just stopped, but and the the um, the the victims weren't properly compensated. But also, the location where it happened, uh, it was kind of like spatially erased, as if to say yes, it never right. really happened. I appreciate that this article does that in a way. It reminds us that the city is not permanent. Mm -hmm. There have been multiple tragedies, even before its independence. And it's important for us to remember uh, why we have a consistent problem, and your article emphasizes it. It's the issue of impunity and immunity. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad you're going down that road. Um, those are the heavier subjects. Mm -hmm. I'd like to jump into a bit of nostalgia, which makes me happy. It's the tramway. Mm -hmm. We'll get into rail. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about rail, but let's yeah. start with the tram. Now, I think this is actually why I really wanted to talk to you. Mm -hmm. uh, every time I'm driving down Bliss, or better, when I'm walking on Bliss, mm -hmm. I look. I look for the rail. Yeah. And every now and then, it sort of it's exposed. It pops up. Yeah. It pops up just a bit. Yeah. Um, I don't think I've seen it anywhere else in the city. Mm -hmm. I see it on Bliss. Mm -hmm. Do you want to know why? Tell me. So I guess in the article, I kind of explore how we got rid of it and stuff. And I, there was a tiny part that was cut out. Uh, and sorry, let me let me title it. I should always yeah. title your articles because there's they're worth reading. This is more recent. Actually, this is, what, three or four days ago? Uh, uh, a week ago. A week ago. Yeah, it, got out, it came out Saturday. So. Saturday, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, whatever happened to our, our alternative modes of transport? Mm -hmm. 25th September. Yeah. Lorion today, yeah. again. Uh, so I interrupted you. Uh, so it was actually a part of the article, but, you know, it just didn't really fit in, But so mm -hmm. we removed it. But um, so That's the why it goes into the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so in the process of um, getting rid of the tram and stuff, we had all these tram lines still there. Hmm. Uh, and still there, I guess, towards the 80s. I have pictures of, the, of people on Bliss Street, uh, well, I'm into sports a lot, so I, I have these old pictures of judo people. <laughs> Long story. I'll, I guess, can we show it? Yeah, we'll show yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Sure. I'll send it to you on WhatsApp. Okay, please. But, uh, of you playing judo? No, 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 no. no. Okay. Of people uh, judo, uh, training for judo 
competitions on the street. Long story. And who's going to remove them? So the municipality and the uh, Ministry of Transport, they kind of got into a dispute who, who's responsible. I mean, it's the municipality, uh, you know, it's their streets, it's their whatever. But, I mean, uh, the, the, the agency that's undertaking this, you know, wide-scale um, project, it's the ministry. So, and it's all, you know, it always comes down to budget reasons and resources and all that stuff. So there was a dispute over who would do it. But in the end, it was just cheaper to not remove them and just to pave uh, asphalt over them. Oh, so, sorry. I should maybe frame this mm -hmm. better. The tram mm -hmm. system predates the French mandate. Yes. And 1907. French, yeah. 1907. Mm -hmm. And the French then expanded aggressively during the mandate. That it's not, yeah. right, it's not mm -hmm. the, uh, it's not that the original network survives mm -hmm. the, it, it, it grows with it the grows. French mandate. Yeah, yeah, And as, as Beirut grows as a city as well. Right. Uh, but, you know, after, uh, in the 60s, as, um, as they're getting ready to transition to just buses, uh, what do we do with all these, you know, right. these giant, and I don't know if you were around Beirut in like 2019, in the 60s. no, no, pre Yeah, I was. Um, <laughs> they were doing all this road work on Bliss Street and they did uncover and unearth yes. a lot of the, the tram lines and yeah. they did finally remove them. It's a shallow grave, if you may. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll, I grew up mm -hmm. on Bliss. Yeah. I remember them before okay. they would pave them mm -hmm. up completely before bliss kept getting higher and higher and the sidewalks kept getting mm -hmm. higher uh both were exposed mm -hmm. both sides and i i mean just uh, my maybe my teenage years was always not understanding why they were there not being used mm -hmm. and then i had heard that the tram went the tramway system went back to pre-world war one mm -hmm. late ottoman uh planning uh but I didn't know the full story of its expansion. And if you can just share a bit on whether or not the tram system was effective for Beirut. Okay. And, and the reason I'm asking it this way, it seems like it dies due to the car. Yeah, the, the age of the automobile. Yeah. And, and, so, it, and it dies a very sudden death. Unfortunately. So what happened was uh, it did serve Beirut. And it, so, I mean, long, long story. So... Um, we were talking earlier about just the noise it makes and yes, stuff. So yeah. when it was initially launched and stuff, a lot of people used to live on the ground floor. Mm -hmm. And because of the noise and because of the, not just the tent, 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 and like the, the actual <laughs> wheels on the, on, the, on, the, on the rail, it would make a lot of noise and just annoy a lot of people. So what would happen was uh, a lot of them would just move to the to higher floors because of the tram because of the tram because it was so annoying i mean right. if, if i mean if we're <laughs> i mean we're not where high about the the ground but can you imagine it's kind of like yeah. um i don't know like i Sound guess like of a bus maybe driving kind of kind of yeah. so they would move upward and they'd retrofit and convert the the ground floors into stores and the the tram kind of played a role in creating a lot of the commercial uh streets that we know of today right so it played a purpose, a purpose in that. Of course, uh, it it was a very cheap uh, mode of transport. So the the second class uh, like side of the of the tram, it was it was I think uh, five piasters. Yes. Uh, which I don't know what. How does that translate into Arabic? It's not Lira. Yiddish. Yiddish. Yeah. 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 And then the first class one was ten uh, Kurdish, whatever. 
Uh, it is. Oh, so this yeah. is like uh, yeah, yeah. So and it was compared to the diesel buses and the services, it was way cheaper. Right. So uh, uh, it helped. You know, a lot of people who didn't make, didn't make that much to get from point A to point B, uh, to get to work and stuff. Uh, and I guess from a more urban planning perspective, what what light rail does is that it prevents urban sprawl. And sprawl is basically when the city um, overflows or it's just un, un, kind of like uncontrolled growth. Right. right, right. Uh, so it kind of, it helps tie in the city. Uh, and I read also, I think it's in your mm -hmm. article, that the price didn't change from the late 30s? No, until, uh, until the... Until the 60s. Yeah. yeah, so in a way, it wasn't catching up properly with... So, so it, it, it was, so towards the late 50s and 60s, I mean, a lot of people were complaining because, I mean, it... The system was still there. It was the old system. Mm. It was kind of it was sluggish and slow. So people would say, "Oh, it's causing a lot of traffic." Oh, I mean, can we right. can we do something about this? And there were two routes to take. One of them was okay, just update the system. It's faster, more efficient, blah mm. blah blah, mm. and uh, or get rid of it and just replace it with something else. The buses ultimately, and the reason why they went with the the bus route route. <laughs> No pun intended, whatever. Um, but before we go into the yeah. bus, I'm sorry, yeah, yeah. I keep interrupting you here mm -hmm. because it's the details for me are the most interesting yeah, thing yeah, yeah, about no, this. I'm gonna get to, yeah, yeah, I'm going to get to it. So oh. uh, the reason why is because because the price hadn't changed from 1939 to 62. I mean, there was, if they had raised the price and that, I don't know, I guess it wasn't uh, financially worth it to just update the system mm, and to maintain the mm. upkeep. That's right. kind of like one of the one of the reasons why it went into this, uh, because you know it, it wasn't like a money making machine or something. But like, yeah, just to try to understand it better, I, I so I have photos, mm -hmm. and there's some video of it, not much. Mm -hmm. um, were there tram stops? Technically, yeah, but uh, so a lot. <laughs> I, so the thing about the tram the, article, the reason I'm asking, the reason I'm asking, <laughs> is I know mm -hmm. from my childhood, yeah. that. People would refer to where I was living. Yeah, was near Mhatat the Duke. Okay, which was a tram stop on Bliss mm -hmm. or near Bliss. So people were still saying this in the service. Yeah, Nazilni had Mhatat the Duke. Mm -hmm. I was like, what the hell is Mhatat the Duke? Okay, so it was a tram stop. Okay, but I can't imagine Beirutis waiting at a tram stop to that's board the, a tram. No, 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 no. Yeah. I, I get what you mean. And that's the thing. The tram would kind of stop at the stop and then it would just, it would go back because a lot of, a lot of the primary sources complaining that I read about it. And actually, you know, the, originally how I got into the tram, it's, it's, I think this is, um, I don't, I don't want to say years in the making, but I actually got into it back in 2015 and I read all these sources and stuff and I didn't do anything with them. And then with the whole, what's his name, Raymond Rajar thing, just use the tram. We didn't say oh, just yeah, use the yeah. tram. Just use some alternative means of transport as if we have any. I think he meant the subway. <laughs> yeah, no. That's kind of what motivated me to write this. But originally, it was, I, had, I had a lot of other stuff on the tram's past. Um, so, no, it, it would technically stop, but people would have to jump, like, you know, or else. And then there was a game that people played was, like... Um, who can jump on the tram while it's oh, going? Right. Yes. Which so I find is, scary. I, I've seen videos. It looks like that. Yeah. People are jumping in and yeah, out. Yeah. 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 So it's not that people. Were, it's not that the tram was used like a service. It wasn't that it was no. stopping random places. No. 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 
Okay. But I mean, technically, yeah, but it wouldn't stop for for long, you right. know. So, yeah. and, and it wasn't. It wasn't. I'm not saying it was perfect, but it's just that. Um, I don't know. This what happened afterwards is that we got rid of the tram. Uh, we had buses in. However, um, and at the same time, so it was a bu- bunch of things. And it's funny that you had Sam Ismail on last time. I was going to say, it's yeah. his grandfather, Yeah, right? it's his, Pierre Ismail is his grandfather. Yeah. He was the Minister of Transport. He's the one who spearheaded this project. Right. Uh, and, and, and you tell me if this is, I want to, I'm trying to remember now. It's it's in the Fouage Heb government when they're... Six, yeah, yeah. It's in uh, early 60s. Yes, right? yes. Pierre Ismail is, has to decide whether or not to throw this whole system mm-hmm, away mm-hmm. or bring in the bus. Yeah. It brings in the bus, yeah. causes more traffic. It causes more traffic, but for a number of reasons. Back then, they were expanding the roads, building bridges, building highways and stuff. One of them is the Fuat Shab Highway. The other one is Estaklal Street, which it's the one that can technically was supposed to connect Ashrafi with Saif, but I, oh, I it's can't here. find it. Well, yeah, technically it's... Is it? Should I stand there? Oh, okay. Technically, it's supposed to do this, but it never... Long story about why never that panned out. So a bunch of a bunch of road works. Oh, but this is from not, ni- it's not here yet, right? This is nineteen fifties. That happened in nineteen sixties. Right. Um, well, technically, it does pan out like this. Um, mm. It's uh, what we call today, like from Sodico to Basta to yes, uh, exactly to the the Druze headquarters. Al uh, Caracon. Not Caracon the Druze. It's like the before Verdun. There's like a Caracon Druze. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, it's like the whole. It's like the 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 um. The, the the temple yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Oh. that's kind of like a stikla and now it's yes uh, sarkis technically it's called yes, that right so at the time they were they were doing all these road works uh, they had gotten rid of uh, light rail which is the tramway mm. uh, and what happens it's this thing called induced demand where like you try to fix the traffic problem by I guess widening the roads or something but what happens is more cars are on the road because there's more space right and at the same time there's less less people are using the bus because it's more expensive than the tram so people are going into like services and stuff so in a sense ironically it ended up increasing traffic and that's what leads to you know it causes Pierre Jmeil to commission a study from Soviet engineers can we do a metro and it wasn't the first study there was um, can we do oh yeah (laughs) I should give a shout out here to Tala Ramadan. She gave me this as a gift. She's like, why don't you use this on mm. your episodes? I was like, I use them. <laughs> She's, she doesn't have no proof that I'm yeah. using it. There's her proof. Thank you. That's the metro system that wasn't. Mm-hmm. And Eric Bredal, uh, he's also an urban planner. He said, he wrote somewhere that um, they did try doing a metro, the French, with uh, Michel Eckerschard, who was the, the master urban planner of Beirut back then. In the early 60s and 63, and that didn't really go anywhere. But there was a Beirut, what's it called? Blog Balade? You know? Yes, of course, yeah. Najib. Uh, what is his last name? Same. Um, but yeah, um, so. He's actually a friend. You know this. <laughs> Oops. I'm Can sorry. we cut this? <laughs> no, no, no we'll keep it in. He'll, he'll enjoy so, it. <laughs> so, Blog Balade published something three or four or five, six years ago, I forgot when, about like a, a Soviet plan to build a metro. But we don't really know why it never panned that. So what I found out during this research is that, yeah, it was commissioned and it was studied and, like, should we go for it or not? But uh, just feasibility-wise, they didn't go for it because it would have cost, like, a billion uh, Lebanese lira, which I think at the time, if you say it's, like, three liras for a dollar, (laughs) 
Which is a lot. It's like so, yeah. 600 million. I don't know. And that it wouldn't be ready until the year 2000. 2000. Right. And, uh, and they were like just betting on the, on the new highways that they were building. The so, ring and the... Um, so it ended yeah. up being... I mean, the car... Mm-hmm. You gave great, gave great figures, and mm-hmm. I want to remember the exact number. Yeah. Um, it's something like... Oh, here it is, and I'll quote you to you, which I love doing. Uh, the new buses were not affordable to the masses as they cost 45 piastres edish to ride. Commuters opted to take cabs instead. Mm-hmm. The widening of streets and building of new highways led to what is known as induced demand, she mentioned earlier, which explains the increase in the number of cars in Lebanon. From 76,000 mm-hmm. in 1962 mm-hmm. to 130,000 in 1967. Yeah. That's insane. And by 1970, it was 150. Wow. Yeah. So it's just multiplying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Within yeah. a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. You know, that explains why Beirut looks... I'll, I'll say this carefully. It looks uglier. Yeah. Quickly. Yeah, yeah. And it's not just the filter. Mm-hmm. It's not the camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's cars. It's I know. Yeah. I mean, the roads, I mean, if you think about it, these narrow roads, yeah, I mean, if you're in a car, it's annoying. You can't find parking. You have to, like, be very careful not to hit someone's mirror or whatever. Yeah. But if you think about it, like, it's a great place to walk and bike and whatever because, on the one hand, you have, like, on the, both sides of uh of the road, you have these buildings that are like um, like casting shadows against each other, and they're creating, right. like they're just uh, they're hiding the sun. Yeah. And I don't know. It, it just and like a lot of these old Ashrafi and some Jamais and it's just so much nicer to walk in these places Absolutely. than it is in like, for example, um, I don't know, next to Hotel Ju or next to Masra or next to yeah. Charles Hello. <laughs> Can we go back though a bit? I I've seen skeletons of what the network looked like mm-hmm. and it seems like it covered most of Beirut but the tram you could pretty much get to more most, or less, more yeah, or less. Yeah, yeah. there are transit gaps mm-hmm. and that's what the buses were trying to solve but if you look at today and uh, if you look at the bus map an unofficial one it's not the we don't have an official one yeah uh, there are gaps in there too and that's what forces us to write so if you so like you know like um, right, right I guess um, but the tram yeah um, it yeah. seems like they were thoughtful mm-hmm. to try to include most of Beirut mm-hmm. in this network, which is the, re- the, the reason it's, it seems so bizarre to me is that there's heavy investment in this tram network. It is slow. Mm-hmm. Maybe by the 19, early 1960s, it's a bit outdated. It needs rejuvenation. It needs money. But that it's a damn shame that this reckless decision is made, mm-hmm. which and I think is really the beginning of the end mm-hmm. of that livable Beirut, the way we, maybe there's some nostalgia towards, mm-hmm. where the the skyline changes, the buildings become better designed for cars mm-hmm. in the sense that you have these unnecessary buildings emerging in the 1970s and you have traffic. Yeah. And it, the the... The tranquility of the city mm-hmm. erodes. And you, you make this a point in the article that it's not just Beirut. Mm-hmm. The world is, many cities are experiencing yeah. this problem. But I like the way the article sort of goes in a different direction because it's not just the tram. You have the tram network and you have the train. Mm-hmm. And you have rail. And the rail network that continued even post-war. Yeah. So I vaguely remember this. Mm-hmm. The choo-choo train yeah. <laughs> along the coast. Yeah. But let's go back to the beginning. I've done an episode, which I know that you listened to, with Elias Marouf, mm-hmm. who helped found uh, Train, train, train Train. Yeah. 
that we had a sophisticated rail network that went to the mountains, mm. steep, uh, steep terrain that was not in Europe yet. No. It was here. Mm -hmm. um, it's a rail network that seems to not make it through, not just because of the Civil War, but that perhaps cars were, in a way, dis disincentivizing mm -hmm. to go from Tripoli, let's say, Tripoli to Beirut, or Beirut to the mountains. Mm -hmm. that you had other options. Yeah. And the fact that it even persisted post-war, to me, is still quite mm -hmm. remarkable. Mm -hmm. But can you, in a way, can you help explain why our rail network was so sophisticated at the turn of the century and why a hundred years later it's gone? Okay. Because it's so, not just yeah. war. It's mm -hmm. not just civil war. No. And I, I, growing up, I was, I, 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 I don't know. I, um, I remember like, unfortunately, like after nine 11, uh, I just got scared. I mean, I was only six, but, you know, just seeing the horrific uh, event unfold on TV, it, I was just like, okay, we're not going to fly anymore. We're just going to, can we take the train? And my mom was like, there is no train. That's like my <laughs> earliest memory of like, oh, like, you know how, you know how there's this show, I mean, I used to watch it as a kid. What is it? The Thomas the Train. I just took it for granted that we had trains because of, you know, cartoons and stuff. And But yes, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had no idea that, you know, we had gotten rid of ours, but um, so yeah, Lebanon was actually one of the first countries in the Middle East to, to get a, like a very wide scale uh, like a railroad network in 1895. Uh, it was like a French. Uh, it was a French company that was funded by BNP Paris uh, Paribas, sorry, that uh, helped build it, uh, and they connected it to what was going on in Iraq and Syria to the German. Um, trains that were being built there. Yes. And it was right. a very extensive network. And it was primarily due, like Elias Malouf says, to a note, Beirut's a bustling port. We need to, and trains are, and like trains, ports, all these things are about efficiency. From my limited research on this, on this area of transport, I, my understanding is that rail was not being used that much mm -hmm. by the 70s. That, ah. that the pa passengers were not using the rail mm -hmm. frequently. Uh, buses and cars were, yeah. in a way, becoming the option. Mm -hmm. um, and that if you were living outside of Beirut and you were coming to, say, you wanted to shop in Hamra mm -hmm. and go back where you're, wherever you're going, people would just take a car mm -hmm. or they take a taxi. Even if the train option was still there. So I'll give you an example. I have seen no uh, material related to scheduling mm -hmm. or that the frequency of trains, how many times they were stopping in these stations mm -hmm. daily. I may be wrong in this, but that it was primarily freight prior to the war. Uh, I, he I heard that too. Scheduling, I, I think I do have something about that. Do you? But I don't know where it is. It's one, one of my drives. I'll double check. Yeah, that would be fascinating to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but it could I, be once a day. Something like that. But I, I do know that I did hear it from a bunch of people who kind of lived through that era that, yeah, it was mostly freight by, hmm. towards the end of the war, but, um, yeah. But, but in other words, the, it's not just the war, it was, the government was not, it was neglecting this, mm -hmm. this what was once essential for the country. Even that, it was still a one-line system. Mm -hmm. You couldn't go both directions yeah. at the same time. No. So you had a train going north, 
waiting, and then, at, yeah, no. and then yeah, another train would head south. So they were always, and that's and that's what the ninety four plan kind of tried to solve. They mm. did a dub, They wanted to do a double rail electrically powered system where it's like right, know, going up, going down. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But is that is that really have to do with just cars? At the end of the day, made it autocentric. I don't know. I I guess I mean I guess it would require more research on my part. Best. I'm sorry to put you on the spot. No, here, no, no, no. It's okay, it just, but it's it's a good diving off point for something new, maybe. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I I I don't know for sure. I mean, I know at least for light rail, yeah, that is true because we just got rid of it, and then the plans for for metros and stuff they weren't really going off the ground. But I guess you know, going from maybe Beirut to Saida or Tripoli to Saida or whatever. Right. Yeah. So I'm gonna take it now to the alternative modes that are not around that should yeah. be around. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that was floated half a century ago, if not longer, metro system, mm-hmm. that never happened. No. Then you have, what I remember, is the water taxi. Yes. And I remember the campaign. Mm-hmm. This is early social media years where it wasn't yes. that easy to promote. No. Um, his name escapes me now. I remember kind of what he looks like, mm-hmm. too. I remember him, the way he looked mm-hmm. next to that water taxi mm-hmm. and... It was going to solve Lebanon's problems. You go from Tripoli to yeah. Sur, Saida to Jbel, Jbel to Beirut, Beirut to Sur, Saida. I mean, the whole coast. He, no, no, no. He did float the idea and he did do a whole campaign back in 2011. Mm. Uh, and then I think you remember there was a change of government. So originally it was... Oh, yeah. I mean, which is kind of yeah. like now Saad Hariri. Right. Yes. Speaking of which, uh, and I didn't mention this in the article, but... Uh, from 99 to 2003, it was Nashid Mikati who was the transport minister. Right. And he, right. he did kind of try to push it through. Didn't really work. He privatized the bus system uh, so that more, you know, buses. So back then, it was mostly government-owned buses that were shuttling people. But then private, uh, private buses got into the market. And then he did try to push uh, for, interna- oh, for international uh, trains like... Uh, and he, he did launch something between, like, he tried launching something between Tripoli and, um, and Syria. It's called Abudi, and then between Raya and um, Raya. Raya. I think it's Raya. Raya. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Between Raya and also Syria on that side of the border. But also that kind of got halted for because of the Hariri assassination in 2005. But in 2011, and Hariri kind of picks it up and, I guess, puts it on the agenda. Then there's, like, a change in government. You remember right. um, there was like one third resignation and Tamim Slim, I think, becomes no, 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 no. Oh, it's before, it's before of course, yes. Um, yeah, yeah. Remember, yeah. it's like the one third of the cabinet resigns, and anyways, Hadidi is yeah, he leaves Lebanon, and yeah. then Mikati comes in, and then uh, by 2012, it's um, I think as we say in Lebanon, it's stuffed in the drawer. But that kind of project would have to survive multiple administrations, mm-hmm. and it seemed my, I mean. I don't know much about it other than it came and went mm-hmm. very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's an idea. Yeah. And it could be done. Mm-hmm. Other countries have that kind of transport. Yeah. And Turkey, Turkey, I guess it's the yeah. most famous example. We can sure. just park your car yeah. inside the thing and just go on the second floor and then... I remember I went to Malta, mm-hmm. our colony in the Western Mediterranean. <laughs> <laughs> Driving into a ship. Uh-huh. And a ship that goes from island to island made perfect sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just don't you don't have to worry about 
you just drive. Mm -hmm. You're in the ship. You drive out of the ship. And I could see this. Mm -hmm. I mean, it makes sense. Why do you need to get stuck in Antilles by yeah. deep for hours when you Bottle can just... Bottlenecks, yeah. Yeah, you just <laughs> drive to Tripoli via ship. Yeah, yeah. But that's off the table, or it doesn't seem to be even being discussed at the moment. Um, I know that the World Bank proposed mm -hmm. a, a somewhat simple mm -hmm. but well-funded mm -hmm. uh, bus rapid bus lane that was supposed to alleviate some of that traffic. Yeah. <laughs> now it's being diverted to yes. emergency funds and, and the, the ration, the ration card. card. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Or I don't know if it's been agreed to, but that seems to be in the... Uh, two or three weeks ago, there was a report in L'Oréal Le Jour that the government, I think it was the outgoing government, mm. that they proposed it. Can we just have, instead of having, you know, rapid, uh, instead of having the BR, BRL rapid bus um, lane, lane, yeah. can we just fund the, um, the ration card instead? Right. And according to that report, they, the World Bank was kind of willing to do it, or like, mm, mm. with certain conditions, of course. Uh, but with, so that one, that idea, I think, was floated originally in 2012 as just rail. Then it went uh, something like that. And then it went in 2015. There was, uh, I think, if you, I did link, I think, the, 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 the proposals and the design. It, it switched to bus. And then by 2017, I think, or 2018, it, it, it got kick-started that we're going to have it and it's going to go. And it was a bit controversial. If you look in the, the plans, you deep dive into them. Because they did want, they want to get rid of a stretch of the Corniche. Yes, uh, to build yeah, right. the Corniche, you know, facing AUB. Right. Uh, yeah. To to you know to reserve that strictly for uh, the bus. And yeah. I don't know. I felt like, I mean, on the one hand, yes, it's a good idea because it's 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 like a so bus does, doesn't stop at all. It doesn't have to be stuck in traffic or anything. But uh, at the same time, you know, you're taking it's kind of it was it was kind of encroaching on public space, but I mean, these little, th not little, but these details can be worked out, but yeah, just, yeah. I don't know, I, I feel like uh, diverting it into a ration card, and the whole reason we have a ration card is because subsidies were lifted, and the whole reason we have yeah. subsidies in the first place is because <laughs> the economy is crashing. Why is the economy crashing? Because the, uh, yeah. the banking, uh, yeah. the banks won't give us our money, uh, there's no investment, there's nothing in Lebanon. And the thing about uh, light rail and heavy rail and just transport it helps attract business. It, it, if you look in, into Absolutely. all the research and the literature and whatever, it's one of the things that motivates uh, businesses and whatever to, 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 to invest in countries um, because the people who are going to end up working in those businesses, they need to get from point A to point B without yeah. you know, having to have a headache or, or, or get stuck in traffic and waste precious, um, not precious, well, yeah, it is precious time. And there was, an, there was a World Bank estimate in 2012 saying that it cost... Um, Car owners something like cumulative, cumulatively, um, like seven point five percent of our GDP. Uh, it, because of traffic. It, because of traffic. Yeah, yeah. Not right. just traffic. Owning a car, gas, yeah, oil, right, uh, right. parts. Our the current crisis. You can connect it a little bit to our dilapidated uh, transport network in a way. Just a yeah. little bit. Like it seems that transit, the rise and fall of alternative modes of transit, mm -hmm. transport. It's just a mirror reflection of the rise and fall of modern Lebanon. That mm. they almost go hand in hand. You have that hiccup post-war where certain things come mm -hmm. back briefly. Mm -hmm. It's clearly it's not a sophisticated rail network. It's a very sluggish 
late 1970s train system that mm-hmm. goes in certain parts of the country mm-hmm. only. Uh, the tram now, imagining a tram in Beirut is almost folklore. Just the, the electricity it, that would yeah. be necessary to, I, to I, run a tram. I agree. But let's, let's, let's say, let's think, and maybe the world is perfect, there's no problems. A tram, despite, I mean, let's just not think of the, kind of the, the crisis we're going through right now. Let's, a tram would be the best option because we have so much archaeology underneath uh, the country. Yeah. If we dig for subways, then uh, the excavations alone would take years and years and years to do. And we can't we can't proceed and so it would it would be the best option I mean if things were perfect which they're not and I can't even yeah. imagine a subway even without the archaeological problem mm-hmm. but that kind of uh, long-term planning requires long-term stability mm-hmm. I mean I see the thing I think it co- it just makes sense that transport require uh, a certain level of functioning alternative modes of transport requires a certain level of stability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and Lebanon, the Lebanese state paid a price mm-hmm. and transport died mm-hmm. with it. I'd like to maybe wrap it up on a lighter note. You're a young urban planner. You're part of Beirut Urban Lab mm-hmm. at AUB. Mm-hmm. Uh, you live and breathe urban planning, obviously. Otherwise, you wouldn't bring this lovely no. gift. And I'm going to cherish this. Uh, I'm assuming your professional career will, for better or worse, be tied in to at least recent tragedy. Mm -hmm. And that whether it's Carantina, whether it's uh, just the aftermath of the port blast, or for that matter, trying to rejuvenate some transport in this country, that it's going to there's going to be tragedy in the story as well. Mm -hmm. What, in your mind, is the most pressing urban planning matter at this moment? Mm -hmm. And you hinted at Carantina earlier, which I liked, that you're talking about a specific Mm -hmm. case, and that's your thesis. But if you had to... If you had the World Bank on speed dial... Okay. (laughs) I I know what I'm going to say, and I know there's like a thousand billion issues, but just... I'm trying to think of a perfect world. Just our sidewalk system. Yeah. I mean, and I'm not saying it's like the biggest problem. No, I mean, there's hunger, there's poverty, there's just all kinds of things happening today. It's just fudged up. You know. Uh, But no, just even before the crisis, I mean, just the sidewalk system was just dilapidating. Like, it it was just, you can barely walk. I don't know, a straight line without being cut off by a car that's parked on the middle yeah. of the sidewalk. Which, by the way, is a 50000 fine. That's never applied. I don't know why. I mean... Is there a fine for it? It's, it's, uh, I think the Yad Bedwood made it illegal. Oh. Uh, but, n- I mean, I guess we're, we're only, we only find just red lights and back when we had um, street lights. Anyways, <laughs> just, just, I don't know, ma- make it a sidewalk network. Because I don't know if you've noticed, it's not, uh, it's not like, it's, it's fragmented in a way. It's like, course, not yeah. just people parked on it or this, I mean, this tiny little part of it that's destroyed or there's just no sidewalk at all. It's just that it's not the same everywhere. It's not accessible yep. 100%. Uh, I'm not saying it's the most pressing issue. It's just a, a dream of mine. It's just create a sidewalk network. Not just in Beirut. Beirut's really bad, but I mean, in Saida, there's no sidewalk network at all, barely. There used to be one, but a lot of the new developments, they're just eating up. Um, yeah. So yeah. it hurts when I see buildings, mm-hmm. newer buildings, mm-hmm. taking over yeah. 
a previously planned sidewalk, mm -hmm. and the municipality does nothing about nothing. it. So what's what? Take the sidewalk. Mm -hmm. What's the sidewalk for anyway? And I remember Hamra, even in the '90s, walking in Hamra was easier. Mm -hmm. A lot of these newer buildings tore up the sidewalk. Mm -hmm. You said it earlier, Madam Khalid Jamezi, these are walkable mm -hmm. neighborhoods. I zigzag my way across Madam Khalid and Jamezi yeah. for all the reasons you mentioned. Yeah. It's an obstacle course and it's dangerous. Of course. And then thinking, I want to walk to Karantina. Karantina is walking distance from here. Yeah. I could never even dream. It's like, yeah. oh, I would never even think about it. There is an overpass. Yes, I, yeah, there is an overpass. Which <laughs> it's not ideal though. Yeah. And a good way to connect it, and we thought about this in a way, just so. Um, so I don't know if you know, so this area, it's owned by the municipality. This one, I think it's owned by the government because it's the railroad. Mm, mm. Why not just do like an underpass here yeah. and then you can physically connect it without people having to fly high, you know? Yeah. I mean, obviously a tunnel is very expensive to do, especially in Lebanon where it's just overhead everywhere. <laughs> but just as an idea, just like, you don't have to kill the entire, uh, well, technically, I guess it would be a free, this is technically a freeway. But you don't have to kill the entire thing, just just a little patch of it. Yeah. I don't know. That way you connect the rest of Cantina to, to the rest of Beirut. I don't know. But I'm glad you're talking about walking. I mean, that's that was also the dream of mine when I used mm -hmm. to give my walking tour, mm -hmm. was to be able to walk without hassle. <laughs> Try, I mean, you just... You, the, all the obstacles of trying to walk across Beirut alone, mm -hmm. and then with a group, forget about yeah, it. It's... Yeah. it's, it's, it's very difficult so that's the dream yeah it's, that shows also how simple how how sorry how simple a dream can be mm -hmm. sidewalk and then how complicated bigger, yeah. yeah it's a nightmare <laughs> to do that i fully support that dream thank you and if you ever pursue that as a serious cause you have an ally ready to do thank it because i'd like to walk in beirut and, and drive less Mm. Um, I had the Chain Effect uh, members on a few weeks ago, mm. uh, Elena Haddad and uh, Zenai, her, her last name escapes me now, but, uh, but their dream is an elaborate cycling uh, oh, that network. Too. That too, I mean, yeah. and I, I, I kind of talked about it in my article. Like, yes, I saw let's, it, let's, yeah. I mean, yeah, the cars are encroaching on the sidewalks and on everything on our lives. By the way, I mean, a lot of the building code today is shaped around cars because if you want to build a building, you need to have enough parking spaces in it. And unfortunately, in some cases, that hinders uh, a lot of like affordable developments from you know coming in. I mean, of course, there's land prices, there's cost of building, but even that aspect come in. It also just cars are. I mean, I got here in a you know a bolt, which is like yeah. an Uber. So. It's it's just horrific how autocentric you know our universe is, and and when you look at, I mean, I'm not saying we should compare Paris and Amsterdam and whatever, but why not? You know, why not? What's stopping us? I, I mean, it's obviously we're broke and we're whatever, but it's just always good to have that dream, you know. And it, and it's emphasized in your articles mm -hmm. that we once had that. Mm -hmm. Why not aim for it again? Yeah, and also that you and it's towards the end of this piece. You, you say it up front, Lebanon needs to make up for lost time. Mm -hmm. But the current financial crisis may stop such development dead on its tracks. So let's hope two things temper themselves, the economic collapse, the political paralysis, and that uh, people like you can enter the halls of power and do the basics from sidewalks to the more uh, constructive, like mm -hmm. rehabilitating Carantina. And also a, sem a sense of, uh, I think it's, it's more than 
more than urban planning. It's it's justice to Beirut. It's a city that uh, everyone uh, speaks highly of, mm. and when you walk around today, it's sort of increasingly hard to know why. So, thank you for this lovely no, gift. My pleasure. Thank you for making your way over to Madam Chaya. No, no problem. And if you want, we can walk to Kedentina. <laughs> No, we won't. Actually, I think you'd be up for it. Yeah. Okay. I'll go. No, well, <laughs> maybe not tonight. We'll, but I'll, we'll I'll schedule we'll, something. We'll schedule. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe I can see Carantina through your eyes. Definitely. Hamad, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.